and welcome to the well. Really glad to see you guys tonight. In fact, I think it's so amazing that you're here. Can you just give yourselves a hand for like making it in the door tonight? I know you guys have a lot going on and probably a lot to do after you leave here tonight. So props to you for coming and for being here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourselves and look deep into their eyes and say, hold on, this is important deep into their eyes and say, you're gonna make it. <laughs> okay. So I want to start tonight. I want to start tonight by telling you a little story about something that happened at our house this week. We had to look a six-year-old Jaden in his eyes this week and say, buddy, you're gonna make it because Jaden had his two front teeth pulled this week. I know. So let me show you the pregame picture. So this is Jaden with his front teeth. Okay, and what happened is, I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you, but he got what's called shark teeth, where they actually grow in behind the baby teeth, right? So he had like two sets of teeth. Um, so they don't knock the baby teeth out. The baby teeth just hang out. And in this case, the baby teeth got pushed like more forward, forward, forward till it was like sticking out his mouth. Even when his mouth was closed, we could see one of them like sticking out, you know? <laughs> So uh, eventually on Sunday night, he's like, yeah, maybe we should go to the dentist and get it out. So it was his choice. And we went on Tuesday. I took him to the dentist. He was such a trooper. He was not very fun. Um, but this is the after shot. Are you ready? <laughs> so he made it. He made it through. And you're going to make it through too. But here's what happened after this. So Tuesday night, he goes to bed. And of course, what happens the night you lose a tooth? The tooth fairy, right. So he had his little container from the dentist with his teeth, and he slept with it under his pillow, and he was very excited about that, hoping that the tooth fairy would come. So Wednesday morning, I woke up really early. Um, in fact, I woke up early to study for this teaching for tonight, thinking I'll get up before the boys do, and I'll have plenty of time. Except as soon as I got to the bottom of the stairs, I don't even think I'd turned the coffee on yet, and I could hear someone coming down the stairs. And I was like, no. <laughs> and it was Jaden. And I love him, but I was really kind of bummed because I needed to study, right? Um, but in his hand is his letter from the tooth fairy that he found under his pillow. So he was so excited, and I think that's why he woke up early. So he opens the letter. We sit in the chair together. He opens it up. He reads this beautifully written letter from someone. I don't know who wrote it, but... Um, <laughs> And inside the envelope, he found $2, a, a dollar for each tooth, and he was really excited. So then I'm thinking, well, now what am I going to do? I still really need this time to study, and there's no way he's going to let me do that. But he loves to watch cartoons, right? So um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Superbook. It's a cartoon for kids that's based on stories from the Bible, and it's actually pretty awesome. Um, so I'm like, hey, let's go watch Superbook, and we'll go watch, like, the story of Ruth. It'll be awesome. So, yeah. so we watched Ruth together, Jaden and I, and somewhere in there, Eli, three years old, kind of came in. He woke up and joined us. The whole time, Jaden's holding his letter and his $2 watching the story of Ruth. And it gets over. The story's over. And Jaden looks at his $2, and he holds it out to Eli, and he says, Eli, you can have my $2. He says, <laughs> this is what he said. He goes, you don't have any dollars, and I have a lot of dollars, so, <laughs> so you can have my $2. Eli's like, woohoo, you know, and I seriously looked at Jaden like, are you kidding me? You mean that? I mean, what six-year-old kid does this after hard-earned money from the tooth fairy shows up under your pillow, right? Just give it away. 
Um, but he's like, no, I really mean it. And I must have asked him five times. And finally, I realized he was serious. And then I really realized what was happening. He was serious because he had just watched the story of Ruth. And it had changed his mind about this money. Like, it was so powerful to him that it caused him to give this money away. And I thought that was really amazing. So then I thought, well, wow, there's something really beautiful and powerful about that story. We should talk about that tonight, right? And that's what we're going to do. So um, here's the thing about Ruth's story. It is so beautiful on so many levels, but also it had an incredible impact on the people around her, the people she loved. For generations after her, um, people were impacted by that story. Uh, But I don't think Ruth had any idea that that was going to be the case. I think Ruth was just choosing to do the next right thing. And that is why her story had so much power. So we're going to take a look at the story of Ruth tonight. Um, to get there, you're excited. That's great. You guys are excited right here. That's, that's awesome. Okay, so we're going to throw the timeline up. I just want to remind you what we've been doing this semester as we've been talking about God's great story. We started with the trees in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. Does anyone remember way back that far? Yeah, okay. Um, and then on to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the third symbol is Moses with his staff in the air as he brought Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. Um, The next with the sword is Joshua and the conquest of coming into the land of Canaan. Remember the story of Jericho we talked about a few weeks ago. That was during the time of Joshua. And now we've come to the time period of the judges. So if you look up at the next symbol, um, this is our symbol for the time period of the judges. And to help us get into judges, here is your weekly recap. Okay, so our story of Ruth happens in the time of the judges. And I just want to explain to you a little bit about what's happening in that time period because I think it's important to the story. Um, In the time periods of judges, this happens right after Joshua brings people into the land and Joshua dies. He was the leader of the people. And after Joshua dies, no other leader rises up and the people don't have a leader. And things in the land start to get crazy. Think about it this way. Remember you when you were in middle school And the teacher was in the room, and things were kind of in order, right? And what would happen when the teacher left the room? Yeah, got a little crazy, okay? So picture that's sort of what was happening in the land of Israel. Under Moses and Joshua, the people were faithful, and they were following God most of the time because their leader was following God. When there was no leader, then they would start to look in different directions, and the gods of the land, and they would intermarry with people in the land that they weren't supposed to, and pretty soon, they were doing whatever they wanted, And things got a little crazy. So here's the cycle that started to happen in the book of Judges. If you start in the top right, Israel falls into sin and idolatry. They're just doing whatever they want and serving other gods. Um, As a result of that, God allows these foreign um, empires or foreign people to come in and sort of oppress them and take over and ruin crops and all kinds of stuff. After a certain amount of time of that, the people cry out to the one true God again and say, hey, help us, help us, we're sorry, we didn't mean it. So God listens to their cry and he raises up a leader for a time and that leader is called a judge. Um, The judge then delivers the people from the foreign oppressors And for a time, there's peace in the land, and the people are faithful, and then the judge dies, and then guess what happens? The whole cycle repeats itself. 
There are 12 different judges listed in the book of Judges, and this cycle just keeps happening over and over and over. And in the middle of this cycle is where we find the story that we're going to look at tonight from the book of Ruth. Judges 17 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So things were kind of a mess. So, uh, because you guys have a lot going on, and I know that your brain's, nod your head if your brain's like really full and you have a lot still that you have to do. Okay, so what I'd like to do tonight is instead of looking at lots of text, I thought it would be fun just to tell the story, okay? So I was just going to tell you the story of Ruth, and it's a really interesting story. It's a fun story. It's actually a love story, so if that is interesting to you, that might be good to know. Um, But before we do that, would you just pray with me? Jesus, we're grateful to be here tonight. Uh, We've come trusting and believing that you would meet with us and encourage us, and I think you've already done that, so we say thank you uh, for that. But God, we ask that you would speak through the story of Ruth and the people that she knew and she cared for. Um, And through your word, God, will you speak to us here tonight? Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, there are four sections to the story, four chapters in the book of Ruth. So sometime over Christmas, you should just go read it because it's only four chapters and it's pretty fun, but we're not gonna read the whole thing tonight. I just wanna tell you the four sections of the story, okay? So Ruth chapter one, here's what happens. There is a famine in the land of Israel during this crazy time of the cycle of the judges. There's a famine. There's a woman, her name is Naomi. Everyone say Naomi. Naomi. Naomi is married to Elimelech. You don't have to say that. That's a weird one, okay? But because of the famine, they moved to Moab, which is, I'll show you on the map, actually. I have a map for you. Um, You can see the arrow is pointing to Bethlehem, and Moab is just on the other side of the Dead Sea. So they travel, Naomi and Elimelech, um, and their sons travel to Moab to find food. Now, this is really interesting. There is tension between Moab and Israel. It's longstanding. It's been there for years. I won't describe all of it, but you just need to know. They're not just going over to a friend's house because they have food. This is a place where there is tension between the peoples, but they need food desperately, Okay, so they go to the land of Moab. Now, when they get to Moab, Elimelech dies. Naomi loses her husband. It's very tragic. Her two sons then marry women from Moab. One is named Orpah, and the other is named Ruth. So uh, Naomi is there. She's lost her husband. Her sons are married to Moabite women. They're there for 10 years. And 10 years later, Both her sons die too. Now, this story to me in the last few weeks has been pretty powerful. I have a husband and two sons. And all of a sudden, this story that I have just like heard all my life got really real. (laughs) I was like, wow, this woman is living in a foreign country where people probably don't like her very much because she's not from there. And she just lost her husband and her two sons. Now, to top that off, If you were a widow in the ancient times, you were the lowest of the lowest of the lowest in social status. So you had no one to provide for you. You had no land. You had no possessions. Um, Often you were on the verge of starving or on the verge of homelessness. You had no legal rights. If you were a widow, you were destitute. And every single day was uncertain. And so Naomi says in this situation to her daughters-in-law, to Orpah and Ruth, she says, you know what? 
you guys should go home to your father's households. You could find security there. You could find food there. They'll take care, for, care of you. You should just go back. And they have very different reactions. Orba says, you're probably right. That's probably the best thing for me to do. And so she goes home. But Ruth will have nothing of it. And this is what Ruth says to Naomi. I'm just going to read to you from Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So Ruth and Naomi return from Moab back to Bethlehem together. And here's what you need to know. This is a beautiful example of Ruth just doing the next right thing. It's actually a really hard thing she's choosing to do, right? She's grieving her husband. She is now a widow, which puts her at great risk. She could go home and have some security with her father's house. But because of her love for Naomi, she says, no, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to stick by your side. And we are going to face this destitution together. (laughs) I'm going with you. And on top of that, into a land that's foreign to me and where they don't like me very much, but I'm going with you. And so they go. Um, And this is the end of section one. Okay, so Ruth, very unselfishly, just choosing to do the next right thing. So section two. In Ruth chapter two, Naomi and Ruth are hungry. They're widows, they have nothing, they need to eat. So guess what Ruth does? She's younger, so she goes out into the fields and begins to glean. And here's what what gleaning means. In Leviticus chapter 19, there's a command that God gave his people. He says, when you harvest your big land, don't harvest all of it, like leave some space that you haven't harvested around the edges of your field so that the poor and the foreigners can come and glean, pick up the things that the harvesters leave behind. So um, that's what Ruth did. As the lowest of the lowest in the land, a poor widow foreigner, she goes out and finds a field that has been harvested where she can glean and start to pick up what's been left behind in hopes that they would have enough to eat. Now, when she does this, a man named Boaz notices her. He is the owner of the field. And Boaz is very wealthy and very successful, and he's you know, got a big business he's running, and he's out one day, and he sees this woman in his field. And he says to the guy that's in charge of the workers, he's like, who's that? So you just kind of wonder, like, was she pretty? Was he like, check, like, who is that, you know? Or did you just notice her? I don't know. But he noticed her enough that he started to ask questions about her. Who is this woman? And so the guy tells her, well, that's Ruth. She's from Moab. She's a widow. And he's like, oh, she's the one that came back with Naomi. She's the one that showed great kindness to Naomi. And he goes and talks to Ruth and says, hey, I've heard of you. I've heard what you did. I heard that you left everything behind to show Naomi kindness and love and faithfulness. May God bless you for doing that. Um, And then he says to her, you know what? I want you to come every day and glean in my fields. There will be plenty for you. 
You will be safe here. I will tell my men not to harm you. And you can come every day and glean here with my workers. And then he invited her in to eat with all of his servants. And then he also gave her some food to take home for Naomi. And what we see in chapter two is another beautiful example of Boaz just doing the next right thing, right? It's not anything valiant or huge, but he's this very wealthy landowner. He's got success like the world wants him to have. Everything's going his way. But what he does is he takes notice of someone who has less than he does, of someone who's in need. And he kind of like stops everything and says, wait, who is that? And how can I help her? And by doing so, Boaz does the next right thing and offers provision and help to Ruth. So Ruth goes home. And of course, Naomi is like, hey, where were you gleaning today? And Ruth says, I was gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. And as soon as she says that, Naomi says, Boaz, he's one of our relatives. Like she recognizes who he is. In fact, he is one of our guardian or kinsman redeemers. Now, basically what that means is there's a command in Leviticus chapter 25 that says, if someone in your family loses their land because of a bad situation, whether it's death or sickness or financial struggle or being sold into slavery, the job of the redeemer is to purchase that land back and to restore what that person lost. Well, he was related to Naomi and Naomi's husband. And so she said, he is one of our redeemers. You should go back there every day. You keep going back to Boaz's field um, and bless him for taking care of you. So that ends sort of chapter two. Okay, now chapter three gets really interesting because Naomi starts to come up with a plan, right? She starts to scheme. You can almost see her, like her wheels are turning. How can I make this happen? Because her plan is, how can I get Boaz to marry Ruth? Because if Boaz would marry Ruth and he would purchase the land and then he would take her in and he would also provide for me and we would have everything we need, it would be so wonderful. So Naomi tells Ruth, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tonight in secret to Boaz's field, to the threshing floor, the place where he was sleeping. And she does. He's probably there because he's protecting his harvest at night, right? Um, And so she goes at night and she sneaks in And the text tells us that she uncovers his feet and lays down. Now, you can read all the commentaries on your own. There's lots of ideas about what that means and what she did, and we're not going to get into that right now. But she uncovers his feet, she lays down by him and goes to sleep. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, whoa, there's a woman on the threshing floor. Who is this? What's she doing here? And then he realizes that it's Ruth. And he's like, why are you here? And she says this to him. Um, She says, let me just read it to you. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer to my family. And basically what she's saying to him is you are the one that's supposed to provide for us. Will you take up your responsibility? Will you purchase the land? Will you take care of Naomi? And will you marry me by covering me with your garment? Will you take care of me as your wife? It's a pretty bold move, sneaking around in the middle of the night, like asking this very powerful, wealthy man if he will like take on the responsibility not only of their land, but also to be her husband. 
So, so Boaz says to her, there is one relative closer than I. And it's actually his responsibility. Maybe that's even why Boaz hasn't done this already to this point. He says, I will go tomorrow to the city gate and I will resolve the matter. So that ends chapter three. You ready for the grand finale? All right, here we go. Chapter four, okay? The next morning, Boaz goes to the city gate. Now, the reason he goes to the city gate is because that is where, like, all the business in the town gets done. If you need to make a decision, if you make a business deal, it all happens at the city gate. So it says, literally, that he gathered the elders of the town, and they came together at the city gate. He also invites this other close relative, the guy that should have redeemed the land by now, and basically presents the situation and says to this guy, hey, you are the redeemer. You can, you're supposed to redeem the land. Will you do it? It's almost like he's standing up for Ruth and saying, dude, this is your job. Why aren't you doing this, right? And the Redeemer says, you know, you're right. I will do it. And then Boaz puts in this one little fact, and he says, well, just know that if you buy the land, Ruth the Moabite also comes with it as your wife. And the guy was like, oh, can't do that. <laughs> maybe because she was a foreigner, maybe because he didn't want to um, threaten his own family or his own existence. I'm not sure why, but he says, I can't do that. So he looks at Boaz and says, I can't do it. You should do it. So I want to read to you the end of the story because it's pretty cool. This is Ruth chapter 4, um, starting in verse 9. So I'll just read you the grand finale of the story. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, "Today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi and all I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon, those were her sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses." Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child into her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 14, I love, because it says, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Boaz marries Ruth, and they live happily ever after. Isn't it great? And that's the end of the story. So, ladies and gentlemen, the book of Ruth. So, yeah, come on, clap. It's a great story. It's a great story. Now, 
this story, like I said at the beginning, has a lot of power and a lot of beauty in it. It's a story of redemption. In fact, if you were to read this story and look at the Hebrew, the word redemption or some form of it happens 23 times in four chapters. This story is all about redemption. Think about where you saw redemption. Redemption is literally the act of saving or being saved from evil or sin. We have Naomi, right? She's lost her husband and her sons. All her pain and loss and destitution is redeemed by the amazingly beautiful, kind actions of Ruth. And then we have Ruth, who has the same kind of loss and pain and is grieving and destitution, and her loss and pain is redeemed. She is pulled out of it by the unbelievable actions of Boaz. Did you guys know that sometimes God brings hope and healing and restoration through the acts of his people? Not because they're trying to be heroic, but just people doing the next right thing. The impact of Ruth's actions are so big. If you look at verse 17, where we ended, this baby's name is Obed. Obed has a baby named Jesse. Jesse has a baby named David. Do you remember the cycle of the judges? where the people desperately needed a leader that was faithful to God. The book of Ruth, not only is this beautiful story of redemption of Ruth and Naomi's story, but it's the beginning of a godly family where the first godly king of Israel would come from. David came to be as a direct result of these actions of Ruth and Boaz in this story. It's so beautiful and so amazing, but wait, There's more, okay? So let's just recap a second. Stay with me because this is really cool. We have Ruth, the Moabite widow. She leaves everything behind to show love and faithfulness and kindness to Naomi, and she moves to a foreign land to face destitution with Naomi. Then we have the successful, wealthy businessman named Boaz who notices Ruth, the least of the least of the least, and offers to care for her and provide for her and even steps up then as the redeemer, buys the land, takes her as his wife. They have a baby, and guess what? 28 generations later, Jesus is born into that family. 28 generations later, as a result of these actions, Jesus is born. Jesus, our redeemer, right? The one who came hundreds of years later, who looked down from heaven and saw our lowly position, who saw us trapped in our destitution, in bondage to sin and death, left heaven, came to earth to die as a man, to pay our debt and to pull us out, to redeem us out of our pain and loss and to give us life in him for eternity, our great redeemer, Jesus. That's the Jesus that comes along 28 generations later because of these amazing, simple times when Ruth and Boaz are just doing the next right thing. So here's a question. Do you think Ruth had any idea? Did she have any idea the impact that her choices, her decisions, 
just doing the next right thing, did she have any idea the impact it would have? Did she know it would impact people for generations? Did she know that it would impact my Jaden last Wednesday morning? (laughs) Did she know that it would impact us here? Did she know that it would have an impact on the Christmas story that we're about to celebrate for this whole next season? Not a chance. Not a chance. She had no idea. To love, to be selfless, and to serve the God she had come to love, she was just trying to do the next right thing. So the question for us tonight is, what is your next right thing? What is the next right thing that God's asking you to do? And let's be honest, in this room, tonight, right now in this moment, the next right thing is to go and study, (laughs) right? That is the next right thing. Okay, now here's the thing though, we can laugh at that, but I sort of mean it, right? God has given you this amazing opportunity that does not feel very amazing right now at this moment, I get that, okay? But he's given you this incredible chance to study and learn to prepare you for who knows what in your story, right? So maybe it is the next right thing. But I'm sure there are some other things that come to mind. Right, like maybe there's a chance for you this week to be kind to a roommate that's just really driving you crazy right now, right? Maybe it's thinking well and thoughtfully and carefully about how you're gonna spend your time when you go home. How are you gonna live and who are you gonna be as you leave this community and go home for a few weeks? Did you know that just like Ruth, your story is part of God's big story of redemption. Not only has God done his work through Jesus to offer you redemption, to pull you out of that bondage to sin and death, he's using you guys to bring hope and healing and restoration and redemption to the people around you. I'm not sure what the next right thing is for you. But I do know that God knows what it is. And and my guess is he'll tell you if you ask him. But I do know this. Because your story is part of God's story, how you live it out matters. And you are having an impact on the people all around you all the time. You have a chance to be part of redemption for people and building God's kingdom here on earth. Praise be to the Lord who has not left us without a redeemer and who has given us an incredible message to share with the world as we go through these next few weeks. As we go from here, let's follow him closely. Let's study hard. Let's get the job done. You're going to make it. You can do it. He will see you through. Um, But he's given you lots to do. He's given you a big job to be part of his story, and he'll help you do that if you'll stay close to him and just keep choosing the next right thing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and the faithfulness that they show um, to love you and to love the people around them. God, we're so grateful tonight for Jesus, that he is our redeemer, that he has made a way to pull us out of our bondage to sin and death and to set us free and to provide for us, to give us life eternal. 
And God, I just pray that you'll make us bold. Will you help us choose the next right thing, whatever that is, whatever comes to mind, whatever you have for us. If that's to study hard these next few days, God, will you help these these friends to do that? Will you provide strength and energy and courage and endurance to see them through? And will you give them the courage and the boldness to do whatever those things are that come to mind, the next right things? Um, Jesus, we love you. Um, We worship you together here. Will you use us to build your kingdom and to keep telling your story here on earth? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.